0: That's good, Amen. amen. Right? Amen. Are we all, we're all in agreement on that? Okay, it's important. Um, you know, uh, today is uh, our last by faith sermon. And um, I've really personally uh, needed this series in this last season, you know, like, faith is everything for us, isn't it? Our faith that God is who he says he is, that is everything for us. And so I my prayer is that you have grown with me. And that was our desire at the beginning of this this series is that we would grow shoulder to shoulder stepping forward in our faith and growing in that faith and growing in our trust in God. And one of the things that we did at the very beginning was um, each of these gold ping pong balls represented one area that you were going to trust God in and one specific area that you were gonna put your faith in God over, right? And so that's what this is, guys. This many areas in this last three months have been given over. We have told God that we trust you. We believe that you are who you say you are in this area and in this area of our lives and in every single one of these areas of our lives, right? But here's the thing. Just because we don't have this visual reminder anymore after this week and just because we're not going to be talking about faith anymore, do we get to put that away? No. That's not how it works. We move forward and we stay strong in our faith. That's what this whole faith chapter that we've been walking through has been about. It's about the resiliency of faith. It's about the perseverance that comes when we really put our faith in God. It's about all the many lessons that he wants to teach him, uh, teach us about who he is in fullness. That's what this passage has been about, Hebrews chapter 11. And we started in Hebrews chapter 11 by reading the entire thing. And I want to end today by reading the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11 again. So if you'd like to turn in your own Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's going to be up on the screen as well if you just want to read along with me. But um, would you just kind of, with me, kind of reflect on this past series and reflect again, like, like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to share with us today? What do you need to jump out at us this morning as a church, as individuals? What is, it that, what is the point that you need to drive home more than anything else as we leave this series? That's what my desire is today. And if, and if I feel a shift in the room, and if I feel like we need to go another way, then I'm going to throw the sermon out, and we're going to go in that direction today. I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants for sure, but I, I know that I want it. I know that I want it. And so would you join me in just being open, just being open to what he wants to speak as we read this passage together. You with me? All right, let's read it together. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw there were Uh, because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter, uh, as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength They wandered in deserts and mountains living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith yet not not one of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's pray. Father as we receive your word this morning Would you help us to hear exactly what it is you need us to hear? Bring down the barriers, bring down the distractions in our lives right now. Bring down the filters of what we want to try to make this passage to be about. Help us to see it for what you meant it to be. Help us to receive it in the fullness of your truth. God, let these words be your words. God, we're ready to receive it. We love you. In your name we pray, Amen. So, uh, for three months, we've been walking through this series, and uh, we've been walking through piece by piece Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, the main point that I want to just stay on today, and this is the only point I have, is that by faith we build a kingdom legacy. By faith, we build a kingdom legacy. And through this past series, right, we started with, um, with Abel. And we learned from Abel that our faith has got to begin with worship. That, that true faith has to come from a place of worship. Faith without a proper heart stance will only put us at odds with God's desires. So our faith has to align with God's heart. Our hearts aligned with God's. That's what's going to move us forward. That's what's going to move us forward in truth because that's what he wants. It's not us trying to impress on him our heart for things, right? It's us receiving his heart for things. That's what worship is. It's an aligning of our hearts to God's. That's what worship should be. Abel taught us that. Adam and Eve, in that same passage, taught us that even in the face of tragedy, we don't stop believing in God's goodness. We don't give up. As they stood at the grave of their son, knowing that they were the ones that brought that brokenness into the world. And it was through them that murder was even possible. And their one son murdered by their other son. Remember, they stood there in that moment. I can only imagine wondering, God, how could we let this happen? And they had a choice in that moment. Their faith, they could have abandoned it and said, God, this isn't what we want, and so forget it. But they didn't choose that, did they? They remained. They remained in their faith. Even in the face of tragedy, we don't stop believing in the goodness of God, even when we are the ones who cause it, who cause the tragedy in our lives. Next, Enoch uh, taught us that we must walk with God by faith. We have to choose to walk, right? He doesn't force us. It's a choice that we have to make. It's a voluntary thing right? He invites us on the path that he's laid out for us, this amazing journey that he has all planned out for us. But we have to be the ones that take his hand and walk on that path. Amen? I know that sometimes we want him to just drag us without us even asking, right? And I think he does carry us a lot of times. But it's our faith that causes us to cling to that leg like we talked about in that sermon, right? And I think about that a lot, that I'm just clinging to his leg like a little kid, and as he's walking, I'm just kind of swinging on that leg, and that's all I have. And it's him keeping me there. It's him keeping me safe. It's him protecting me. It's him giving me the ability to even move forward. But it's my faith in him that keeps me in that place. I could let go. We could let go. But Enoch taught taught us that we have got to continue to walk with God voluntarily. And then Noah taught us that our faith requires action. When God promises something to us, then we've got to act to see it happen. If Noah had doubted God that the flood was coming, what would have happened? All life on earth would have ended. If Noah would have doubted in that promise from God, all life would have ended. But he believed. Even when every single person in the world at that time, right? Every person that knew Noah was telling him he's insane for believing that. He's insane for listening to that promise. They'd never even seen rain before. He seemed crazy. And faith sometimes makes us seem crazy to this world. But that's okay. I'd rather seem crazy to the world, right, than be outside of the will of God. That's what Noah taught us. Abraham. Abraham then showed us, when God makes an I will promise to us, then we should respond with our own I will statements to him. You know, I want to I pause just for a moment and and Psalm 91 is, is, I think, my favorite passage uh, for this kind of an example. And I just want to read it. And I want, as I read it, I want you to hear how many, like, I will statements, how many promises are in just this one passage. Okay? Just, just listen for them, okay? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer me, I answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Just one chapter. listen to those promises, guys. And you know what? For all of those things to be our reality, what does it require? It says this, it says, The Lord, if we say the Lord is my refuge and we make the most high our dwelling. It says that twice. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high. So it requires our nearness to him. It requires that clinging attitude that I will not leave his side because under his wings is life. And only under his wings is life. Everything out from under his wings is death. It's the difference between life and death. That's how strong this is. That's how strong this promise is. And then this other piece. It's not just that we cling to his leg, but it says, because he loves me. Because of our love for him. That aligning of our hearts to his, that worship of our God to say, you are who you say you are. That's where the faith comes in. Our love is faith. Our love of God should be the fullness of our faith. It's our belief and our trust, again, that he is who he says he is, that shows him how much we love him. Amen, church? You're with me? This is what we're called to. This is the promise that's right in front of us. All we've got to do is say, God, we love you. Help us to know more about you. We want you in our lives. We want you in fullness. And and we cling and we say, God, we need you. There's no life apart from you. There is no good apart from you. And all of these promises are ours. Do you want these promises in your life? These are I will statements. These are absolutes from our God. Absolutes from our God. What's your choice? Will you love him today? Will you trust him today? Will you choose to make the most high your dwelling? We learn that from Abraham. We learn the importance of that from Abraham. And Abraham's wife Sarah taught us the faith of waiting. We wait until the promise is fulfilled, and we allow God to work in us while we wait. And oftentimes, we even see with Sarah, right, it took so long, decades, for that promise to be fulfilled. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting and getting older and older and older. And by the time God himself shows up, and says, hey, by this time next year, you're going to be pregnant. What does Sarah do? She laughs. She laughs literally in his face and says, that's impossible. And God's like, hello, do you know who you're talking to? Why in the world would you doubt me? She argues with him that it's impossible. What does that show? She didn't know who God was in fullness, did she? She didn't know and she didn't trust in fullness that he actually is who he says he is. And so that waiting period was her waiting, was her learning that. He wasn't going to fulfill that promise until she understood that. So how often do we have, do we spend in a waiting period in our lives? Because there's a piece of us holding back our trust in God. You hear what I'm saying, church? How often is that our reality? How often do we find ourselves in the waiting season like Sarah because we just aren't ready to trust him with what he says he wants to do for us and in us and through us? We learned that from Sarah. And then Isaac. Isaac taught us that even when the circumstances seem to point to everything being lost, we obey. Because it's in the faith of obedience that we see, that that sees us through even the most hopeless of situations. It's our obedience. It's our saying, God, you've said this, you've asked me to do this, and so I'm going to keep moving forward, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it seems like I'm walking into the fiery furnace, and it doesn't seem like this is going to end very good for me. We keep moving forward. Because God is who he says he is. And even Abraham, it says, he reasoned that even if that knife came down in Abraham's hand, and even if Isaac was sacrificed in that moment, Abraham's faith led him to believe that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. And would do that because Isaac was promised to him. Thank God that God didn't have him do that. But there's other examples. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego walking into the fire. They walked into the fire, and it said, even if, even if they die, right? God is still good. He's still worthy of their trust. He's still worthy of their faith. But it required them going into what seemed completely hopeless for them to find the fullness of who God was. Isaac taught us that we don't give up. Even if all things seem lost, we remember that God can even raise the dead. He can even raise the dead. And then we, we learn by faith that Moses led the people through the Red Sea and we learn that even the miraculous isn't enough for us. Even the miraculous isn't enough for us to sustain our faith, is it? Because they were, right? Remember the Israelites, they were freed from Egypt. They're running away to the Red Sea. Right, They're freed from all that oppression, the slavery. Right, They've just seen the 10 plagues, these crazy miracles to get them out of there. And what do they do when they get to the edge of the water? They complain. Then the miracle happens. The, the Red Sea parts, this insane miracle, dry ground happens. They walk through, they get to the other side, and only days later, what happens? They complain again. Miracles isn't enough, guys. I've seen it in my own life. I've prayed for people and seen insane miracles happen. And that wasn't enough for that person to to follow Jesus. It wasn't enough. That's why Jesus tried not to make a big deal out of the miraculous. He made a big deal out of the love of God. And he he used the miracles to point people to that incredible love. Love. But the miraculous isn't enough for us to keep our faith. Because it's not what it's not just what God does, right? It's who He is that we put our faith in. Because if we put our faith only in what we he does, it's often that we're going to put our faith in what we think he should do. You hear that? If we put our faith in what he does, it's often and too often that we're actually putting our faith in what we think he should be doing. And we're going to get disappointed because our ways are not his ways. And so we put our faith in who he is. It's a vital lesson for us moving forward, guys. As a church... Shoulder to shoulder together? Do we want to see miracles? Of course. Of course, who doesn't? But that's not enough. Because we've seen miracles as a church. There's a lot of people who used to be sitting in these chairs that aren't sitting in these chairs anymore, who saw miracles, and it wasn't enough to keep them here. We move forward By clinging to who God is, not what he does. Then Rahab showed us that God can use anyone. I'm so thankful for that example in scripture. That he can use anyone, full stop, right? Anyone, anyone, anyone. He can use anyone to see his promises fulfilled. And then Joshua taught us that we have got to align our expectations with God's. We have to align our expe- expectations uh, with His expectations for us as well. Because God has expectations for you. Do you receive that? Do you understand that, church? God has expectations on your life, He has expectations for you. He created you for purpose, He created you and gave you power in the Holy Spirit. And so what does that do? That means that he has expectations to see that power move through you and into the lives of others. He has expectations that we would love the way that he loves, that we would love our neighbors, that we would show people the love of God. That is an expectation on us. And Joshua had to face those expectations as well. The people expected him to be greater than Moses. They expected that. And he had to carry that weight. And you know what, guys? We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. So you know what? We have greater access to the Father than Moses did. We have greater access to the Father than Joshua did. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us, guys. We have the fullness of his power. And so what does that mean? God has some big plans for us. He has some big plans for these generations since his son died in this era of the world where what's coming is just going to get worse. What's coming in this world is just going to get worse. That is an absolute promise in Scripture. It's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. The only hope I have for my kids is Jesus. It's the only hope I have for the future, for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I can't even fathom the world that they are going to have to live in. But my prayer is that they know Jesus. And the only way they're going to know who Jesus is is if I try to live up to the expectations that God has on my life. You hear me, Church? And that's that's not just on me. I know I have a calling as a pastor, but we all have expectations. God has big plans for each and every single one of us to reach our context, to reach those that he's brought around us, to reach this world, to reach our families at least. He's got expectations on us. You know, none of these people that we've talked about were perfect. You know, they were liars. They were fearful. They doubted God. They laughed in his face. They in no way were who the world probably would have picked for those positions. I mean, Rahab, right? Who would have picked a prostitute, right, to see that happen? Nobody. Nobody would have picked that. But the question that we've got to ask ourselves, having walked through Hebrews 11, I think, for these last three months is this. Do you believe that God can do the same things through you? Do you believe that God can do the same things through you? What's your what's going to be your contribution to the Hall of Faith? And if you, if you in, in any way, in that moment, when I ask that question, when I ask what's going to be your contribution to the Hall of Faith, if you have doubt in your mind, if there's even that moment of being like, How, who am I? How could I do that? How dare you say that? How dare you question the expectations that God has on you? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You were knit together in your mother's womb by the creator of this universe. The same God that empowered Moses to see the Red Sea part, the same God that empowered Joshua to see the Jordan stopped, right? That same God lives in you. We are the temple of the living God. Each and every single one of us, we walk around, and wherever we set foot, that is now the presence of God. That is the reality of who you are, church. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if, if, you, if you've told him, I surrender my life to you and I want you to be Lord of my life, that is your reality. So how dare you question that? How dare you question what you're capable of? How dare you question what God might want to do through, what he might want to do through you? Stop it. That is the enemy. That is every bit of the enemy trying to get you to doubt yourself, trying to get you to doubt how God sees you. Faith requires us aligning ourselves to God and accepting who we are, right? Accepting the fullness of how he sees us and who he created us to be. That is the other side of faith. All day long, we can believe in God. All day long, we can say, God, I trust that you are who you say you are, but do you trust that we are who he says we are? Do you trust that you are who he says you are? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. But my hope, my desire, right? And I'm not, gonna, I'm not standing here saying I'm perfect at that either, right? But if we want to move forward as a church, and if we want to be on that same page moving forward, then my prayer is, is that we start learning. We start figuring it out. We start accepting We start at least even being open to God showing us how he sees us. I think as a church, we're great at trusting that God is who he says he is. But I think this next season requires us trusting that we are who he says we are. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me in this church? We've got to be in this together. And you know, like, what they faced... Right? All these incredible, like, horrendous things that the writer of Hebrews talks about that they face. Right? What does radical faith look like in our Western culture compared to that? Right? We don't face lion dens. We don't face, uh, you know, uh, the risk of being sawed in half. We don't risk those things. We don't risk being burned at the stake because of our faith. And I fear that because our faith isn't a matter of life and death, then we don't treat it as such. But they treated their faith as a matter of life and death because it was. It was. But it is for us as well. Just because there isn't as great of a worldly risk to us to believe doesn't mean doesn't mean that our faith isn't just as much about life and death. The fullness of life and the fullness of death. Literally, our faith is the difference between heaven or hell, guys. Our faith is the difference between heaven, the promises and the fullness of heaven, or the eternity of hell. It's our faith that separates that for us. It's our faith to reach out and accept that free gift from God and his son Jesus and trust that he is who he says he is and that he will save us and that he does have a plan for us. It's our faith that brings us into salvation. Our faith is a matter of life and death. Hell is etern- heaven is eternal life. Hell is eternal death. And our faith will determine which one we choose. Guys, don't we cannot let comfort distract us from that reality. We can't let the comfort of our lives distract us from that reality. Heaven is good. Heaven is real. And heaven is the ultimate promise for those who refuse to let go of their faith in God but so many have let go. So many have let go. There are more church closures in the United States every year than there are are churches that open. The church is in massive decline. And COVID, like COVID, this last couple years has like, exponentially increased that rate of church closures. So many have let go. So many have traded their faith in God for faith in themselves. And that that choice right there is the difference between life and death. You know, someday we're all going to be gone from this earth, but we're going to have a legacy that we'll have left behind. And what will the generations after us say about us? Will our faith be how they remember us? Or will our life and our actions point them elsewhere? You know, this... uh, um, I bet my parents are here, and we've been working through... um, all these like a uh, uh, genealogy uh, for my family and. Um you know going back as far as we can and just kind of tracing all that stuff and it's been really fascinating like to learn like you know who was who and what did they do and you know the, some were in wars and some they were farmers and they came from czechoslovakia we even discovered that our last name was changed at ellis island and stuff and now we we've wondered for years and we've we just figured that out this this last week that our last name was different and like and that's crazy you know like all these interesting like interesting facts you know and and I've been just thinking about that. That's like as I'm pouring through this paperwork, someday I'm gonna just be a name on a list. Someday I'm just gonna be Cody Bren, son of Randy and Sue Bren, and, and it'll list my kids, and and that's all that there's gonna be. And that's if one of my one generation after me like takes interest and even cares that they'll even see that. I might just be a name on a piece of paper, but you know, like. I'm thankful for like the articles that were saved and the obituaries that were saved because at least I can see a snippet of like, there was one that I saw in there that was a pastor. And I was like, oh man, that's so cool. Like there was another relative that I know now that was a pastor. And you can see this line of faith, you know, and there was this church that so many of them went to in Montana and, and I'm hoping to try to get to visit that church this summer, to go to that church where so many of my, you know, great, great, greats, you know, went to maybe. You know, and like how how interesting would it be to see that church and just know like there is a legacy of faith in that building. And how did that legacy of faith impact me? Right? My family's Christians because of my grandma's faith, largely. It was her faith that kept, you know, my family going, you know, and and and, and, and brought us back in to a belief in Jesus. And, you know, my my prayer for myself and I think, you know, for you as well, if we're talking about kingdom legacy today, my prayer is that my great, great grandkids are pointed to choosing life when they hear my name. I pray that like next to my name, there's something at least that says Cody Bren, follower of Jesus. Cody Bren, who wanted to make much of Jesus in this life. Cody Bren, lover of God. Cody Cody Bren, faithful follower of Jesus. That would be my desire above anything else. Scratch my name out and just put a faithful follower of Jesus if need be. That is what I want my great, great grandkids. That's what I want my legacy to be above anything else because that's the only thing that matters. The fact that I was a musician, the fact that I lived in North Dakota. Dakota and California and now in Arizona and who knows where else I'm going to be and end up living this life. I don't really care that that stuff moves on. Honestly, I don't really care as long as people know, as long as my great, great grandkids know that I loved Jesus and my desire above anything else was that they would love Jesus too so that they can know life. I don't want them to know death. I don't want them to live in death and hopelessness, but I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with them. I'm not going to be able to sit them down and hold their face and tell them that Jesus loves them above anything else and that he wants them so much and that nothing they face is too much for him. I'm not going to be able to do that. And so I pray, pour into my children and I pray that they know Jesus at that level of a desperation. That's my prayer, but I can't control that either. I can show them I can I can be an example as best as I can. I can point them to Jesus constantly, but I can't force that. Man, I want to do everything I can though. That's what's important, guys. That is the legacy we leave behind that matters. It's not what we do. It's not where we lived. who we are in Christ. That's life. That's the difference between life and death. You know, we've, we've had these golden ping pong balls, you know. And I was just thinking about, like, as we're doing this genealogy work and, like, kind of digging. It felt like this digging process. And there was these gold nuggets that we would unearth. You know, these pieces of like, oh my goodness, that's so interesting and fascinating. Some of it really sad. Some of it I just read and just like almost was in tears just thinking about, man, that was my family. Like they went through that. Like that's crazy. You know? But like, it's like you're digging for gold in that. And I need you to hear that like each one of these things, church, each one of these things that we've put in this jar, these are gold nuggets, meant for the next generation. Maybe you made a decision just that, you know what, I want to put my faith uh, in, uh, in God in the area of my finances, or in the area of my family, or in the area of my future. If this is what that represents, guys, what if this, what if this means the difference between life and death for one who comes after you? And I believe that many of these are the difference between life and death for those that come after us if we're willing to hang on. If we're willing to keep our faith in God in that area, it could be the difference between life and death for those generations after us. Church, what is your legacy of faith going to be? What is your legacy of faith going to be? It may be the difference between life and death for you and those you love. What is your legacy of faith going to be? Would you join me in praying that our faith is what defines who we are. Would you join me in just seeking God today, even in this moment, that our faith is what defines who we are. Would you pray with me? Father, you've given us life. You've given us the possibility of life, freedom from death but God, you never meant for that promise and that possibility of life to stay with us. You meant for that possibility to spread like a wildfire. So God, don't let our fear quench what you have in mind. Don't let our doubt be what puts that fire out. God, let our faith be what defines who we are, not our circumstances, not what we went through, not our tragedies in this life, not even the good things in this life, maybe our accomplishments or whatever. God, let our faith be what defines us. Our love for you, may that be what defines who we are. And may that be what gets passed down generation to generation. May that be our legacy, Father that we made much of your son, Jesus, and that we led a life that said, we want you in fullness. May that be who we are. May that be our legacy, Father. Thank you for making that possible. Thank you for your love, your goodness. God, we seek you. We need you we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. I know that um, this is up on the stage now, but if any of you during this worship set um, feels like they need to put a gold ping pong ball in that in that jar that represents an area of faith for you. I know it's, it's a lot more vulnerable to walk up on the stage and do it, but let this be a marker. Let this be a moment where you say, no, I'm not gonna let fear of what people might think or, or whatever hold me back. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna put this gold ping pong ball in there and I'm gonna say, God, I trust you. And I want this to be a gold nugget that maybe somebody in my family would find someday as a legacy of my faith in you. Jane's going to be in the back. If you'd like prayer, if you're struggling with anything this morning, please take advantage of that. But would you stand and let's uh, let's worship?